0: This is episode number 327, AI trends for 2020. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Blue Life AI. Blue Life AI is a company that empowers businesses to make massive profits by leveraging artificial intelligence at no upfront cost.
0: That's correct, you heard it right. We are so sure about artificial intelligence that we will create a customized AI solution for you and you won't need to pay unless it actually adds massive value to your business.
1: So if you're interested to try out artificial intelligence in your business, go to www.bluelife.ai, fill in the form and we'll get back to you as quick as possible.
0: So once again, that's www.bluelife.ai and Adelan and I both look forward to working together with you. Welcome back to the Super Data Science podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show. Happy New Year and I'm hoping you had a fantastic celebration of this new decade. Uh, Back in Russia, we celebrate the passing of a year and the start of a year today or this year these past few days it's time to celebrate the passing of a whole decade and the start of a new one how exciting is that super super pumped to be in 2020 this is the most exciting time to be alive period we're about 12 years from when the term data scientist was coined that was around 2008 we're about 10 years away from the first ipad that was back in 2010 how long ago was that crazy a whole decade has passed Uh, we're about eight years away from the publishing of the article data scientist the sexiest job of the 21st century on harvard business review if you haven't read it yet make sure to read it by uh, dj patel and thomas davenport Uh, that is what gave rise to this whole Explosion of data science that we're living in. So that was eight years ago, that was in 2012. Uh, then we are, for those of us who are excited about visualization, we're about seven years away. So, yeah, seven years ago, the first version of Tableau was published. Uh, that was May 17, 2013. And now Tableau Software is a, a multi billion dollar, dollar company. Uh, with their revenue of 1.2 billion in 2018, they've been acquired by Salesforce. A lot has changed, a lot has happened since May 17, 2013. Seven years of visualization. Uh, for those of us who are excited about artificial intelligence, um, 9th of November 2015 was the first time that TensorFlow was uh, published. That's the initial release date of TensorFlow. So, TensorFlow has been around for uh, almost five years and magic and just look at all the crazy things that are happening with TensorFlow and Looking ahead. We are about 25 years away from when artificial intelligence will take over the world I'm just kidding. I'm joking. Um, we never know what will happen. Of course, uh, there's uh, as Ben Gertzel puts it. Uh, there's a Irreducible uncertainty as to what will happen once we create artificial intelligence forms that are way smarter than what we are capable of. So that is just an irreducible uncertainty, no matter how hard we think about it. Simply because we are going to be less intelligent, we cannot come up with what will happen. But uh, according to uh, Ray Kurzweil, on the other hand, uh, in, uh, if you look at futurehims.com, slash images, the dawn of the singularity, or just look at look for the dawn of the singularity, he's predicting, that uh, by 2045, which is 25 years away, uh, AI will surpass human beings as the smartest and most capable life forms on the planet. And so that is in our lifetimes. That is 25 years away, my friends. Um, And that's a point in time when we don't know what will actually happen. It's already getting pretty fast, like how um, technology is developing. We already don't know what to expect the next five years, not 25 years, but there we go, that's a prediction from somebody who's predicted things like the iPad um, and many other technological developments with approximately an 80% or more than an 80% accuracy. So someone worth listening to okay so that is 25 years away but what is happening this year what is happening in 2020 that's a that's the real burning question what should we look out for in 2020 what are the trends the most important trends so Adlan and i uh, were a part of a udemy for business webinar huge shout out to udemy for business if you're a business executive and you don't use udemy for business for training your team yet make sure to jump on top of it you can get access to plenty of high quality top level udemy courses including some of our courses including some of our exclusive courses as well Uh, and train up your team uh, on udemy for business just go to udemy.com or search for udemy for business um but um basically what we did is we uh, were on a webinar about talking about uh, ai trends for 2020 and beyond and we selected our top five trends uh which Um, we dissected quite deeply and discussed what they are what are these technologies and what to expect so that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in this podcast today in our session today so it's actually the same audio from the webinar um, and you will get to experience it today in a podcast form so the five trends that we're going to be talking about are number one robotic process automation an AI technology that's taking over the world very silently but is very, very impactful. Natural language processing, very powerful technology as well. Reinforcement learning, atlan's favorite technology, edge computing, something that I am learning a lot about these days and something that I'm a big fan of. And finally, we'll talk about open source AI frameworks and why that's a trend. So just five technologies this year, we decided to focus on less but... Uh, make it more impactful and look into some examples. So you'll hear about what these technologies are, why these are trends, and also some industry case studies. <laughs> so that's our podcast for today. Very excited to dive straight into it. So without further ado, I bring to you my good friend and business partner, Atlanta Ponteves. Let's take it away. Hello, everybody. Very excited to be here on the webinar.
1: Hello, everybody. Very excited as well.
0: And uh, here we have our agenda for today. We're gonna to be covering off five main topics that, are, that we should be looking out for in 2020. And they are robotic process automation, natural language processing, reinforcement learning, edge computing,
1: and open source AI frameworks. How do you feel about this Adlan? Very excited, very excited. Uh, indeed, these are the top trends in the artificial intelligence ecosystem. And so we're gonna describe each of them by giving uh, you know the top uh, real world industry examples yeah we had a,
0: a look through all the technology updates with adlan over the past couple of weeks and especially yesterday we sat down and there's some very interesting things going on which one are you most excited about adlan? uh
1: my fa- my personal favorite is uh, reinforcement learning as it has always mm-hmm. been <laughs> and what about yours
0: um probably edge computing i've been learning more and more about it didn't know that much about it like um, Uh, earlier this year, but now it's like really becoming prevalent and very excited to see what's coming up. So, without further ado, let's get going. Let's do this. Robotic process automation. So, we're going to take turns. I'll start with robotic process automation and then we'll take turns with the the trends. So, with robotics process automation or RPA, uh, let's do a quick overview of uh, what it is. Just for those who are not up to speed, it's a very, very simple AI technology. One of the simplest out there, but also one of the most disruptive. So imagine you have a human who's uh, doing a certain process, which might be like um, registering a new client in the system on, or onboarding a new client, invoicing clients, some kind of manual process that's done on the computer, very repetitive, high volume task. So for instance, the, client, the human might read an email, uh, open an attachment, uh, copy data into a um, CRM or customer resource management system, then get data, data from a different database, and then send an email reply. And that might be part of the process that they have to do every single day, 10, 20, maybe 100 times per day, 100 times per week, uh, in order to uh, fulfill a certain business need, such as invoicing a client. This might be relating to invoicing a client, or this might be related to um, closing um, or fulfilling a sales um, transaction, or something like that. So basically what RPA does is it can take over these high-volume, manual, repetitive tasks. And in this case, we have a very nice, beautiful icon in there for a robotic process automation system. These are not actual robots, these are software robots, so they live on the computer, but they're able to do all the clicks and uh, moves of the mouse and things like that that humans can. They just do them faster and more accurately. And so what an RPA can do is it can read the email, open the attachment, it can also copy data into a CRM, can get data from a different database, and it can even send a reply but what it'll do is by here by this point in time you can set a like a check and if there's an escalation that is required uh to be checked by a human if there's no escalation required then it'll send the email if there is an escalation that's required then it'll handle an exception well basically the human will come in and handle the exception that's in a nutshell when rpa does so it can take away all these repetitive mundane non-interesting tasks from humans and free up people for more exciting work and so something to note here is that there's about 230 million jobs worldwide that can be automated and that's about nine percent nine percent of the whole global workforce so it's a massive uh it's a massive opportunity some people see it as a massive threat because um it uh, kind of means that jobs will be taken away from humans or can be taken away from humans but ultimately uh, there was a study done by the World Economic Forum in 2018 which says that uh, for every one job that AI uh, displaces in the coming years, 1.7 new jobs will be created. More interesting, more creative, more fun, exciting jobs. And that's what we want humans to be doing ultimately. So that's kind of like the underlying part of this whole presentation is that uh, we see artificial intelligence as adding value to the world. What, what, what would you comment on this at
1: one? Uh, Well, uh, definitely. um, Robotic process automation is one of the top uh, branches of artificial intelligence. Um, It is more and more used in uh, companies to automate repetitive tasks. And uh, actually, um, on on that note, being uh, being that uh, some jobs uh, can be automated, Well, um, I I always um, uh, relieve my students or uh, or other people with the main fear that uh, gravitates around uh, RPA, uh, um, artificial intelligence, meaning that it's going to take over the jobs. Well, uh, yes, for each job that is going to be taken, a lot more are going to be created. It's just a new industrial revolution, like uh, when before uh, a lot of the agricultural jobs uh, were uh, uh, were gone well a lot of new industrial jobs were created well here we have exactly uh, exact same new phenomenon with uh, artificial intelligence so there is not really a a fear to have uh, on this and actually this we're just going uh, into growth
0: Mm, totally agree so let's have a look at some of the um, applications of rpa these are just a couple of examples to spark some ideas that you might have for your own organization Uh, Number one would be invoicing and billing. So as the the example we looked at, uh, you can, if you have manual processes, especially in large enterprises for invoicing clients and billing and following up and things like that, all of that can be automated with robotic process automation. Uh, Payroll processing, another one, like there's a lot of uh, checks that need to be um, or check boxes that need to be checked off at the end of the month or twice a month whenever the payroll happens. Uh, if that has been done by humans it can be done by a robotic process automation system Uh, data aggregation rpa can you can set up an rpa to go and uh, extract uh, information from uh, bloomberg every morning and then from a certain email that you receive from a database from um i don't know like some some Online system from Google News, you can get uh, data every morning or on uh, whatever basis you want, however regular you want, and put all that into a report, RPA can help with that as well. Um, Shipment scheduling and tracking, again, uh, in um, logistics companies and a lot of businesses actually have logistics components to them, RPA can assist there. Finally, employee onboarding is another area where robotic process automation can help and we'll see this in one of our examples. And in terms of examples, um, we're going to look at for every technology, we're going to look at five examples in the industry of how um, that technology is already transforming existing businesses, and that will give us ideas of what is uh, what should we should expect in 2020. So, um, in terms of RPA, we've got a first example is Synergy. It's a, a energy company in Western Australia. Um, and what they have done is they have uh, been able to deploy 280 bots. I think they used uh, the software automation anywhere. Um, these bots were able to reduce uh, the error by 99%. Um, it increased the speed uh, for, by 40%. And this is for invoicing and billing. So billing of their customers. Well, I'm, I'm guessing it's like retail and probably commercial as well. Customers that use their energy. Um, so 90% reduction errors, 40% increase in speed, 2.3 million dollars annual savings, and of course that comes with a question: What was the price? Well, the ROI, return on in investment on this uh, project was 163% overall. So massive ROI plus annual savings that will be recurring over the years. Uh, next example is Deutsche Bank. Uh, so they've uh, experimented a lot with robotic transformation and they um every time they're able to automate between 30 to 70 percent of the task in whatever area they're experimenting in and actually Deutsche Bank is the the example I was talking about earlier where they're able to um use a robotic approximation for employee onboarding and so what they do is they have an RPA that's that has the task encoded into it and when the human on boards, like it probably has like the core of the task encoded into it know we, we don't know the exact details But the core is encoded into this robotic process automation system uh, and then it can uh, train a human who's onboarded in order to discover how to do this task and then take it to the next level. So basically they're using RPA to help people onboard into the bank. Uh, uh, AT&T are very fond of robotic process automation. They've been doing it for years now. They have over a thousand software robots in total. Uh, And in fact, they've gotten so good at it. So basically what the the robots do is they perform tasks ranging from helping technicians activate equipment uh, for customers and then aggregating data, what we talked about, to create customer reports and so on. And AT&T have gotten so good at RPA that they're actually teaching other companies how to do it. They've trained over 2,000 employees in 100 different organizations on how to deploy RPA. Uh, Vanguard is... um, a an investment uh, company and so they have 3.2 trillion dollars in assets globally that they're managing and they use rpa to perform certain trading tasks where where they can be pretty straightforward when this happens do this when this happens do that um and so yeah so not only they use human traders but they use robotic process automation they use a combination of the two um kinds of approaches which kind of helps them stand out in their offering and finally, Walmart. Uh, Walmart is also a big a fan of uh, robotic They've deployed over 500 bots to um, automate anything from answering employee questions to retrieving useful information uh, from audit documents. And this is coming from the CIO. Uh, actually, the reason for this was that humans doing those tasks were getting, quote unquote, uh, a lot of those uh came from people who are tired of the work so people are just getting tired of certain repetitive tasks and ask for automation and that's where automation came in and helped so that's rpa in industry let's move on to trend number
1: two Natural language processing. So a very uh, popular branch of artificial intelligence that is growing a lot, especially since uh, the development of, and the creation of BERT, which is a, a revolutionizing uh, a chatbot. Um, so yes, natural language uh, processing. Let's uh, go into it and let's first explain what it is. Um, So, first, natural language processing can be divided into two sub-applications. The first one is a natural language understanding, which uh, will consist of um, reviewing either a text or an audio, and interpret it. Uh, For example, we have the classic application of NLP, which is sentiment analysis, which will uh, analyze some text and will say whether uh, the text is uh, positive or negative, for example. Uh, And then uh, the second application is a natural uh, language generation, which is, uh, for example, um, the case of of a chatbot. So basically, you will get the system will get a text as an input, or even an audio, or a person speaking and saying something, and the natural language generation system will generate a response to it. Uh, with, 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 for example, uh, um, like a chatbot that uh, talks to you uh, for a specific task. So these are the two uh, branches of a uh, natural uh, language processing. And that, now let's go over uh, the different uh, applications, uh, starting with the first one, which is Sentiment Analysis. So this is the example I've just given. Uh, for example, um, we can apl- uh, use Sentiment Analysis to re- uh, review um, to tell whether a review is positive or negative. Uh, for example, uh, we can also use sentiment analysis to say whether uh, some uh, tweet, Twitter tweets are uh, positive or negative, or, or even uh, can be classified into some uh, categories. Then the second application is a, is a chatbot. So basically, this is a, this time a natural language generation. You have a chatbot talking with a customer about about either some uh, general conversation or some specific topic. Uh, Then uh, a third application is machine translation, where uh, here, uh, well, you will have um, um, a natural language processing system that translates uh, text from one language to another. Uh, Then the next application is uh, automatic uh, summarization. So this system will uh, uh, this time take a text as input, and it can be, a full book or an article, and we'll summarize it in a few words. And then finally, the last application widely used is a video captioning. Uh, so in this case, well, the NLP system will uh, get a video as uh, input and will uh, again, deliver as an output the captions uh, of that video. So these are the main applications of uh, NLP, and uh, now let's see how it was uh, used in uh, industry. Uh, so uh, a great industry, first industry example is uh, Autodesk. So Autodesk is a uh, 3D uh, design engineering and uh, construction uh, software. And so uh, they used uh, natural uh, language processing uh, by um, downloading the spec of uh, a Formula One car to uh, design uh, Rule Hope, so uh, to, to design a, a specific material without the need of any uh, human involvement. So that's uh, uh, pretty amazing. Then uh, another industry example is uh, Booking.com, of course, a, a company that, uh, uh, with which you can uh, book uh, your hotel. And uh, as you know, on this uh, Web Booking.com website, you have a lot of uh, reviews from customers, and you also have the data from customers. Well, you can extract the de- the, those reviews from the customers to predict where um, uh, where should be a next de- destination for the customer. So that's uh, uh, another. Uh, a big company that uses NLP a lot to uh, optimize the business. Uh, Then you have uh, YouTube, of course, so this uh, uh, uses NLP in many cases and uh, to relate to uh, the different applications we've just mentioned, well, it can be, for example, for uh, video captioning, it can take a a YouTube video as an input and uh, will return as an output uh, the captioning. So all this is done automatically by uh, an NLP system. Uh, Then we have a JP uh, Morgan uh, Chase and and Co. So uh, they actually made an amazing uh, program uh, called uh, COIN, which stands for uh, Contract Intelligence. And uh, basically it does uh, the job of interpreting uh, commercial loan agreements, which would take, uh, for example, 360,000 hours uh, done by lawyers. And actually, they made a, a system, an NLP system, of course, that did it in second. So that was a really uh, an impressive application of a natural language processing. And uh, finally, we can also give the funny example of uh, an institution like the Port of Rotterdam, who, which also managed to use uh, NLP by uh, getting uh, the port calls of, um, of uh, you know, the, the port to predict uh, uh, at an exact time, the vessel arrivals in the port. So that's a pretty fun example. They took as input the calls and different data, with a, uh, whether it is text or uh, audio, and they managed to predict with a high accuracy the, uh, um, the vessel arrival times in the port. So that's a, a pretty good uh, industry example.
0: Very, very interesting. Thanks, Adlan, for walking us through that. Um, wh- why, like, I, While you're talking, I had this, Question: Like, why why is NLP becoming so popular these days? Like, what's what's changed? Why are we highlighting as a trend for 2020, um, where there's so many other technologies? You know, we're only highlighting five, and one of them is NLP. Like, what what is changing these days?
1: Yes, I would say that it, it it's because it is the, the fastest growing one in terms of research, um, and so that's why I I wanted to introduce first uh, NLP with uh, BERT. Uh, Because BERT is really a revolution. You know, uh, research in artificial intelligence is very slow. It's very uh, uh, continuous. But sometimes you have some big leaps in uh, in innovation. And BERT was actually one of them. Also, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, business and economy, well, NLP is providing tremendous uh, added value to diverse industries with uh, the different applications we've just explained. So also in terms of economy, well, this uh, really uh, is one of the top branches of artificial intelligence in terms of brought added value so i would say yes the two uh, the two components uh yes the growth and uh, also he has the um, innovation
0: I, w- I would also say that just like humans are becoming lazier that <laughs> you know like we need to type into our phones and and stuff it's much easier to talk to uh google home or alexa or siri it's much easier to say things right that's probably the consumer consumer-driven reason that people want a new interface like before the interface was all graphical and and we we were able to interact with graphics and type stuff up which is which was you know a huge change from writing and um i don't know having to always pick up the phone and talk to a human now we can like go on a website and do things but the next step in in, the, in terms of that is all right now let's be able to talk to our computers why do we need to type like that movie remember her the, have you seen her yes yes
1: great movie yeah like
0: they don't type at all they don't even have keyboards in that movie
1: that's true yeah yeah that's the next generation uh and even uh, yeah the, the next innovation would be to uh, not even have to yeah to, to type anything or to say anything uh we yeah. can have a system oh, yeah. directly connected to our brain uh, and which will collect uh, our thoughts uh, and, yeah. uh yeah yes this will be uh, i mean i think ready in the within the next 10 years
0: yeah i would agree with you all right well let's look at the next trend and that, oh you're doing this one as well uh
1: yes reinforcement learning okay so yes this is my favorite branch of uh artificial intelligence why is it your favorite um well i think this this is the one with the coolest applications for example self-driving cars uh or um you know uh, playing video games. so this is uh thanks to reinforcement learning for example that uh, AlphaGo was able to beat the a world champion uh, of Go, or uh, same for chess. And uh, we're gonna show another example here in this uh, webinar. But uh, yes, I think this is a very, very cool application uh, branch of our AI. And besides, in business, it had some uh, amazing impact. And we're gonna discover, discover what there are now.
0: All right, let's go. Uh,
1: all right, so uh, what is reinforcement learning? Well, um, it's an uh, uh, input and output-based system meaning an AI that will take uh, as input uh, some data and uh, will return as output an action to play. Uh, So here uh, we give uh, this example of a carrot and a a wood stick because actually uh, the fundamental point about reinforcement learning is that it relies on a reward. There is a reward system that will uh, evaluate how your AI is doing and the better it is doing, the more reward you will give it and the worse it is doing, uh, the uh, the worst reward you will uh, give it. So here, the plus one and minus one are the two rewards. Let's say that we are training an agent or an AI to uh, predict uh, whether an object is a carrot or a wood stick. Well, if it, if it predicts a carrot, well, we will give it a reward of plus one, and if it is a if it predicts a wood stick, we will give it a reward of minus one. So that's the most uh, the simplest example of a reinforcement learning. Uh, you have to know that it is an input and output based system that is evaluated over a reward system and, uh, and uh, will train itself over trial and error to reach a certain goal. And so now we're gonna look at the different uh uh, applications of reinforcement learning. So yes, this is an example, another example of a uh, reinforcement learning. You can use it to train a robot to find its way in a maze. And again, you have a reward system that will uh, give it uh, plus one. Uh, well, uh, the closer it gets to the destination, you know, getting out of the maze, and minus one uh, if it doesn't find its destination or gets further away from it. All right. So um, here now we're going to talk about a very exciting uh, application of uh, uh, reinforcement learning, uh, which is AlphaGo Zero. So I'm sure you've heard of uh, AlphaGo because uh, indeed it was um, uh, an AI that beat uh, the world champion uh, of Go. And that same AI was uh, made to, uh, for other applications and for other game, uh, games, and uh, um, one of them is actually uh, StarCraft. So uh, uh, there was this uh, very recent uh, event, amazing event, where the team at DeepMind in London, which is a like a company um, acquired by Google, uh, well, used this uh, AlphaGo system uh, to beat the uh, world, uh, well, the 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 top uh, professionals of uh, StarCraft. And they, uh, there is actually a very cool video on YouTube uh, where you can see uh, this uh, AlphaGo Zero playing against uh, those pros, and uh, so I don't know if you know uh, how this game works, but it's uh, very complex. Actually, you have a lot of uh, action that you can use at the same time. If you uh, watch the professional uh, uh, players play this game, you will see their, uh, all, all their fingers used in, in different uh, keyboards uh, to uh, complete some actions. So basically what I'm saying is that there are many actions uh, to play at the same time. Uh, and therefore a great complexity, and not only from the input, but also from the, uh, to the output. And well, uh, well the AI that uh, played against these uh, top professionals uh, at StarCraft um, uh, totally uh, beat them 5-0. Uh, to zero. Uh, So uh, that was a, a really uh, a great accomplishment given the complexity uh, of the game. So uh, yeah, that's one of the applications I like. And now, if we are looking at uh, the different applications in industries and business, well, first we have uh, personalized recommendations. Uh, of course, uh, if we take the example, for example, um, of Netflix, uh, well, uh, we can train a reinforcement learning system uh, to predict uh, whether a customer is going to like or not a review. And in that case, the reward system is uh, you know, for example, plus one if uh, the um, reinforcement learning system predicted correctly, and minus one if uh, if it was an incorrect prediction. And then as the next uh, application, we have uh, Advertising Budget Optimization. Indeed, that's a classic, but yet widely used application of reinforcement learning. Indeed, some, some of the top companies, uh, like we're going to see uh, much, uh, a bit later, Alibaba, uh, are using reinforcement learning to optimize their advertising budget, and they, which allows them to save millions in cost. Um, uh, then the next uh, application is uh, to select the advertising content. Uh, well, for example, imagine that uh, you uh, want to sell a product and uh, the, um, the design team made several uh, advertising or different ads and you don't know which ad would convert the best your customers. Well, you can make a reinforcement learning system that will quickly figure out uh, which ad will uh, you know sell the best uh, the product to your customers. And while still, Uh, optimizing the advertising budget, so you can uh, combine two applications at the same time. Uh, Then uh, another uh, classic uh, application of reinforcement learning is to uh, ensure customer lifetime uh, value uh, with the same uh, uh, reward system that will be clearly defined such that uh, a a positive reward is given if uh, indeed you are uh, ensuring the customer lifetime value and uh, a negative reward otherwise and the uh, last application that we can give is to predict uh, the customer uh, response in uh, uh, you know for example for customer service well, you can use again a, a reinforcement learning uh, algorithm uh, for uh, for such a purpose and so now we're going to look at the different uh, industry examples the main ones um, and uh, you're going to see uh, alibaba great top, great companies like alibaba and google and, uh, and even uh, some uh, other uh, uh, institutions that use reinforcement learning. So let's start with the, big, yeah, the biggest one, and, uh, because it was the one that had the most impact thanks to uh, reinforcement learning. So um, indeed, Alibaba re- leveraged uh, reinforcement learning to increase its uh, return on investment in online advertising by 240%. Uh, and that increased uh, the advertising, without without increasing the advertising budget. So there's, a, there's actually a research paper on this uh, particular case study where you can see exactly um, how um, this uh, reinforcement learning system Uh, outperformed uh, the benchmark of uh, the other systems. And this was the top um, uh, AI that uh, really provided the the best results. So 240%, that was uh, incredible. Uh, Then we have uh, Google, who uh, used again, thanks to DeepMind, one of its top AI branch, um, reinforcement learning, uh, that was in 2016. Uh, to reduce uh, energy consumption in uh, their data center, so that's a very classic example. They managed to reduce energy consumption by more than 30% uh, thanks to a reinforcement learning uh, model, which is called a DQN uh, model, deep Q, based on deep Q-learning, and uh, that was actually incredible because this uh, allowed them to, to save uh, um, um, billions in, in cost also. Uh, Then uh, as a next uh, example, we have the University of Cambridge. So um, they did not particularly um, uh, use reinforcement learning uh, for a particular application. What they did is that uh, they... Um, uh, included a new reinforcement learning uh, program in their in one of their masters, and they also hired one of the top deep mind professors uh, to uh, uh, you know e- emphasize this uh, branch of artificial intelligence because indeed it has such amazing applications in business that uh, it was included uh, now in the programs uh, by the top uh, AI researchers in the world, which is this uh, deep mind uh, professor and then we have a uh, Tesla of course which uh, leverages uh, as we said, uh, reinforcement learning for self-driving cars, because indeed you can train um, a self-driving car with reinforcement learning to to navigate and to reach destinations. And of course, you will give it uh, some positive rewards if it manages to go in the right direction and some negative rewards if it goes in the wrong direction or if, for example, it hits some Obstacles. So you have a very, very advanced uh, reinforcement learning uh, system inside a self-driving car, and Tesla uh, is using it um, uh, is using it to to build their uh, self-driving cars. And uh, and finally, uh, Trendyol. So uh, Trendyol is a, for those of you who don't know is a leading inc- e-commerce company. Um, and uh, what they did is that uh, they used uh, reinforcement learning to uh, create uh, several highly uh, Personalized marketing campaigns. So that's uh, the applications we identified before. Uh, you know, op- optimizing the advertising budget and also uh, um, selecting the the right uh, ads for in a marketing uh, campaign. Well, this is another one uh, company that uh, used uh, reinforcement learning for advertising purposes. So yes, these are the the main um, industry examples. Uh, that uh, connect well to the main uh, reinforcement learning applications. And so uh, now we're going to move on to uh, the next uh, big trend in artificial intelligence. Thank you, Adlan. Uh, By the way, what's your what's your favorite application of reinforcement learning? There's so many. Um, I really like um, what Alibaba did um, and also the self-driving cars. I really like uh, yes um, the um, online advertising budget optimization and um, because this saves uh, like um, millions of dollars to companies. So uh, this has really, really, uh, really good effect, uh, amazing impact. And at the same time, it's uh, very uh, easy to implement. Actually, uh, many companies uh, could, could do it. It's, uh, it's not that uh, much of an advanced system. Uh, however, yes, the most advanced system uh, would be the, um, the self-driving car, the reinforcement learning DQN model applied within self-driving cars.
0: OK. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very exciting. And also, probably not just... Uh, it saves companies money, but also helps not spam people with irrelevant advertising. You know, like we sometimes we forget that tailored advertising is good for both sides, like for the people and for the company. Yes. Awesome. Okay, edge computing. This one uh, is mine. So, edge computing. Um, have have uh, people um, watching or listening to this ever seen this message saying that Siri is not available. When you try to use Siri on your Mac, just if you haven't, just try using Siri when you're offline, when you're not connected to the internet, try clicking the Siri button or uh, saying, hey Siri on your phone. You will notice that Siri is not available when you're not connected to the internet. And like, when I see this, and when I first discovered this like, a couple of years ago, and it's still the case, like we are entering 2020 and it is still the case that you cannot call Siri or talk to Siri or like make a ask her to make a note in your uh, diary on your phone or or do whatever you want you cannot just talk to her if you're not online like we are in the 21st century in 2020 at the cusp of 2020 and we're not able to talk to our voice assistants if we're not connected to the internet. That, that is a, like a shocking revelation to me if you think about it. Um, and so the question for that is like, why? Well, the reason is that this is, this is where edge computing comes into play. So the reason is something that we all know, which is called the cloud. It was new to a decade ago or so, and it was, was something everybody talks about. Now it's what every, like everybody is used to it so the cloud, we're going to have like a diagram in the video version here. Um, so we have a cloud uh, and that is like data center, uh, data centers out there somewhere far away, um, maybe in a different part of the country or maybe even a d- in a different country where your data goes, it's processed and comes back. And that's why Siri or Alexa or Google Home, none of those devices are actually going to be able to help you or you're not even going to be able to talk to them because the natural language processing algorithms that Adlan was talking about, they're quite computational heavy and they sit and live on the cloud. So your data gets uploaded to a server. It happens all very fast, as long as you connect to the internet. It gets uploaded to a server, it gets processed there, and then um, the response comes back to your device and some action is taken or whatever. So even though you're talking to your phone, to Siri on your phone, Siri is actually not on your phone. Siri is far, far away, Thousands of kilometers sitting on a server somewhere in the cloud. And what this edge computing is doing, what, what world we're moving into is how about we take those chips, microchips, algorithms, and we put them all onto your device? So we've already heard about Internet of Things. So uh, your car might be connected to your phone, and your phone's connected to your thermometer and to your Apple iWatch and also to your computer and then your credit card is connected to you know the like as soon as you walk into a store it knows your credit card details like an amazon go store you don't have to pay uh, pay anything there um it all gets deducted automatically. or you know you're in a factory devices might be interconnected so this like all this interconnectedness of devices is kind of like something that we're seeing uh in the iot space but at the same time there's still the algorithms that drive all of these connections and all of these interactions, they still live on the cloud. So even though your device is connected, they need to upload the data. The data has to then be processed in the cloud and then comes back, you know, ma- making everything work together. It's quite seamless because it uh, it happens very fast. You don't notice, but it still happens up, up out there. What if we could put those algorithms and those microchips onto the devices so that Everything could happen locally, not needing to be uploaded to the cloud. And that's, uh, that's edge computing on devices. And this would be billions and billions of um, artificial intelligence algorithms happening uh, real time on your device. So for instance, you could talk to Siri when you're not connected to the internet and she could help you. Maybe you don't need to be connected to internet for a task you're doing. Maybe you're searching for something on your phone or maybe you want to make a note on your phone or maybe you just want or to access um, an existing library of information or play some music that you already have downloaded on your phone. So that's uh, edge on um, devices. Another type of edge computing is edge computing on nodes. Uh, And nodes are somewhere in between servers out there in the cloud and your devices that you have locally right in front of you. So these nodes are kind of like mini servers that live very close to your local internet uh, provider or local um, telecommunication stations. So rather than all this information from your Internet of Things devices, from your um, mobile phone, your sensor um, temperature meter in your home, your uh, I, Apple iWatch from your car, from your iPad, from your, I don't know, healthcare devices and things like that, rather than all that information going all the way to the cloud to be processed, it can be processed locally on an edge server, which is much closer to you. Um, things will happen fast, it'll be lower latency, it's much seg- more secure. Um, and these edge uh, servers or edge nodes, why they're necessary is because um, not all devices might be in the vicinity of each other. Not, not always you might be your car and your phone and your uh, home temperature meter might be very close to each other so they can connect directly with each other. They might still need some interconnectedness, but they don't need interconnectedness across the country. They just need interconnectedness within your city or within, you know, 50 kilometers of where you live. And that's enough. So that's where edge, edge nodes come in. So we have, uh, if you imagine a pyramid, um, we have cloud computing at the very top. with data centers, which we're, which this is how everything's happening now. But now what is going to happen 2020 and beyond is um, the computations are going to be pushed out onto the edge, into the edge nodes. And further, they're going to be pushed out onto your devices, into um, so that they're actually being these uh, chips and these um, algorithms are living on your device. And uh, for example, the uh, introduction of 5G networks is really facilitating this process, right? 5G networks make um, data transferring uh, much faster, and that's why these nodes can be set up. In fact, we have a, an example here from Vapor IO where they've set up a network of edge nodes around Austin. You can see they have six uh, edge nodes, all interconnected with uh, fiber optics, I believe. And um, that way, if anything happens, uh, if one of your devices is near one of these edge nodes and then another device is near another one, they can uh, connect with each other and exchange information very fast, all that information doesn't have to go into the national cloud server or the cloud server of whatever, uh, wherever this processing is happening, whether it's Amazon Web Services or your your uh, Apple uh, cloud servers or some, some Google cloud servers. It can all happen locally around Austin in this case, and all of everything you need to get done can get done without, with lower latency, faster execution time, and more privacy. And so here, let's sum up, what is edge computing? Edge computing um, allows computation and data storage close to where they are needed, rather than transporting all this data, which is also costly across the country. And we have so much data flying around, um, even if it's a very little cost per unit of data, when you times that by the volume of data we have in uh, in these years and moving forward, It becomes a very, very complex exercise. Um, It's real-time data processing much faster. A voice network latency allows faster responses. Cloud computing is uh, big data, but edge computing is instant data. That's the best way to think about it. Cloud computing, big data. Edge computing, instant data. And uh, so let's have a look at uh, a couple of examples, industry examples. So uh, for instance, AT&T, our favorite uh, company. So what they're doing is they're actually building a, a network of edge nodes uh, in order to facilitate self-driving cars, right? So instead of uh, your self-driving car having to communicate through the cloud with other devices around it, with uh, maybe the smart city sensors that exist, with other cars that are driving around, that can all happen locally where the car is driving through at edge servers, and it can get all that information faster. And of course, that's going to be um, very important, crucial to the safer performance of these cars. Um, Daihan, uh, so what they did is, with their Edge technology, they were able to, um, they worked with a, a company, basically Daihan. Um, they, um, I think, yeah, so they use Edge technology in order to, um, in their factories, reduce um, error detection uh, to make it error detection faster. Uh, what they do is they produce uh, transformers, I believe, Um, And uh, with Edge Computing, they were able to eliminate about 5,000 hours of manual entry um, because simply uh, they are now able to detect any kind of product defects and production errors on the fly, uh, thanks to Edge Computing. Uh, Our next example is Amazon Alexa. So as we know, all these voice assistants, they're not in your device. So the actual assistant is not in your device Uh, The algorithm is not there. It's just getting your audio and then it's uploading that audio to the cloud, processing, coming back. So Amazon Alexa is is in the same uh, boat right now. They're not living. the Alexa itself is not living on device, but what they have come up with is like a first step towards edge computing on the devices. And they have this new chip, which uh, only has one megabyte of RAM, is very cheap. And it can be installed in pretty much any device, can be installed in a light bulb. And what it does is it listens for the wake word, which is Alexa. As soon as you say Alexa, Alexa is supposed to wake up and start processing. Well, before that required like 100 megabytes of RAM, and that was quite an expensive chip to put into uh, your routine devices. But now they've really reduced it. And even though it can't process all of the words that you're saying, it can listen for the wake word. So you could have a chip that's listening for a wake word in your. Uh, in any light bulb, you could have it in your <laughs> in your cutlery in your in your ta- in your um, uh, plates and cups and mugs and whatever else wherever you need it so that they're moving towards that so uh, it's a first step uh next one Novartis um, so this is an interesting example from the healthcare space. they're d- uh, developing they're testing already uh contact lenses that can me- measure the sugar content. Uh, I think it's sugar content in um in uh side or glucose levels inside tiers of uh diabetes patient. So they can tell they can measure constantly how is, is your glucose going? Do you need to um have an insulin shot or not? And that can be life changing or even life-saving for somebody with diabetes. And of course that needs to happen very fast. Latency cannot be afforded there uh, why not do that on the edge? Why not do it either on an edge a node or why not do it on the device if that might be somehow connected to, uh, might have already a chip somewhere built in, which is quite hard to imagine in a contact lens, but maybe it's connected to your phone or something else like that. So edge computing would be very useful there. And final example, um, example of Pokemon Go, which we all remember from 2015-16, uh, how it went viral, millions of people walking around with the phone looking for Pokemon. Uh, well, why does that, data need to be uploaded all the way to the cloud and then processed there and then come back to your phone telling you if you caught the pokemon if pokemon's there this is augmented reality it needs to happen fast it needs to happen on the fly and that's why uh, having edge nodes in that case uh, would be very useful because even if you have many players in the city walking around together because they're working through a one edge node that's near them or they're working for several edge nodes that are interconnected but they're all local anyway they can get the results faster they can see okay they can see all the same thing they can uh you know if somebody caught a pokemon the other people cannot catch that pokemon so they're all uh interconnected anyway and then once in a day or a couple times a day all that data can be uploaded to the cloud to um aggregate with all of the other global data that's been uploaded from other edge nodes so basically it can if we localize this processing of data to edge nodes or edge devices in some cases, uh, then it all becomes faster and we remove any redundancy where we don't really need to be uploading stuff to the cloud. So those are examples for edge computing. How, how What do you think of edge computing, Adlan?
1: Well, this is uh, definitely fa- fascinating. And um, it's actually, uh, well, the, the one that I'm least familiar with, uh, but it's really worth... Uh, I think it's really worth looking into it and uh, and especially uh, into how AI can uh, bring added value to businesses. I think this has a yeah, tremendous potential.
0: And I really like, uh, apart from like the speed, I like the case that edge computing is safer, right? Like you're not transferring the data to a server somewhere nationwide. You just, it's being processed locally. So it's much harder to hack for somebody who is not from, from there. Like so they have to hack into the nodes first and then... Hike your data. So uh, I think it, it's a great step up in terms of data privacy as well.
1: That's true. It protects you from uh, the dangers of uh, the cloud.
0: Yeah. OK. Are you ready for your last one?
1: Yes. Um, The last one is about uh, open source AI frameworks. So the first thing I want to say is that um, this is actually really good for uh, the development of uh, AI research because what the open source AI frameworks uh, allow to do is for uh, many people, any people on earth to uh, participate into the development of AI research. That's why today we have uh, so many github pages Uh, by individuals who are uh, really uh, talented and do not necessarily belong to uh, one of of the top IT companies and uh, yet participate to uh, AI research, try to improve the current AI models thanks to uh, the different uh, libraries that are offered uh, uh, open source. So let's have a look at them, let's have a look at the best ones and uh, first let's quickly uh, explain what they are, open source AI framework. So uh, basically, there are um, some libraries or platforms uh, that you can use to build uh, artificial intelligence systems. So, for example, if you want to do computer vision, you will have uh, some uh, frameworks that will allow you to uh, implement a computer vision system with very few lines of code by using the different uh, what we call modules, functions or classes of the libraries within the AI frameworks. And uh, same, we have some AI frameworks for NLP. Um, uh, BERT is an example of an AI framework. We have some AI frameworks for reinforcement learning. So we have different AI frameworks uh, for different uh, branches of artificial intelligence. And now we're gonna have a look at them uh, or have a look at the main ones. Alright, so uh, first, um, open uh, source AI framework application is a research and uh, production support. So that's uh, that's uh, what I introduced that with. Uh, well, the open source AI frameworks are used to, for research, whether it is uh, for uh, to um, you know to implement some artificial intelligence for the healthcare industry or for another industry, then we have the algorithm library, which uh, is a, if, for example TensorFlow, uh, PyTorch which will contain uh, diverse uh, modules uh, and diverse uh, functions of of, uh, artificial intelligence that you can use very easily with very few lines of code to implement something very complex. Uh, Then um, we have uh, model creation and uh, development. So basically you can uh, very easily create models, once again, with uh, very few lines of of code. Uh, For example, if you want to build a CNN, uh, which is a convolutional neural network, which allows you to classify some images, for example. Well, um, um, without the, op- the open-source AI frameworks, you would do it in, uh, in hundreds of lines of code. And now, thanks to them, you can just do it in uh, at l- not more than 10 lines of code with, for example, the Keras library. Uh, then you have, a, uh, as another application, prototyping and training algorithms, Well, um, same. Thanks to those uh, open source AI frameworks, you can train some very complex algorithms. Uh, Most of the time, these frameworks are connected to a server, uh, you know, a powerful server, which is like a a powerful computer connected uh, somewhere in the world as a virtual machine, uh, from which you, uh, to which you connect to to train your algorithms. So, for example, if we uh, want to connect to what we've said before about reinforcement learning, uh, some reinforcement learning models can be very hard and um, and time-consuming to train. Well, uh, thanks to these uh, AI frameworks, you can now train them in a much uh, uh, faster, uh, much much faster. And then uh, another application, yeah, define, uh, optimize, and assess. Well, uh, well, thanks to these uh, frameworks, you can have some uh, really good pipelines that uh, can um, that can allow to facilitate the process of building a model, uh, um, def- defining. Um, a model and optimize uh, the goal that you want to do. And then you have uh, some tools which allow to assess uh, the uh, the performance of uh, the model you're building. So these frameworks not only allow you to build some uh, amazing uh, models, but also can offer you some pipelines to uh, help uh, to facilitate the process of uh, building a model for a specific goal that you have. And now let's uh, have a look at uh, not really examples, but uh, the main AI uh, frameworks uh, that are used today by the researchers and any individual, because they're open source. The first one, and and actually I think the most popular one, is uh, TensorFlow. Uh, So TensorFlow is an AI framework developed uh, by Google, which uh, allows today to do any kind of uh, any branch of artificial intelligence with TensorFlow, you can do deep learning, uh, you can build a convolutional neural network to do image classification, uh, you can do uh, reinforcement learning because you can build a deep Q learning model with TensorFlow. You can also do NLP, of course. You have some uh, um, <coughs> modules that uh, allow you to build some uh, NLP systems. Well, you have everything in TensorFlow. This is the most popular one, this is a very powerful one, especially since the Uh, uh, Well, the development of uh, TensorFlow 2.0, with uh, which you can do even more advanced uh, AI systems. Uh, Then uh, another AI framework is uh, Keras, but I I shouldn't say another one because actually with TensorFlow 2.0, well, uh, TensorFlow merged with Keras, but uh, Keras is is an AI framework that allowed to build some uh, AI models even um, in an even simpler way you know you had even less lines of code uh, in the ai applications you built with keras um, but now keras uh, has merged uh, with a uh, tensorflow uh, 2.0 so uh, yes you can uh, use it again for for any for anything whether it is to build a convolutional neural network a recurrent neural network even a chatbot an auto encoder well you can uh, build all these systems which usually would take hundreds of lines of code in uh, very few lines of code, thanks to Keras. Then uh, the next one that we have is a uh, Theano. So this is uh, uh, a bit less used. This was used at the beginning uh, when doing uh, deep learning. Uh, well, uh, you could uh, build um, a convolutional neural network once again with a uh, uh, Theano. Um, today, I would say that um, yeah, the, the, the most two widely used are TensorFlow and PyTorch. Some people are still using Theano, of course, um, but uh, this is um, not uh, the most widely used um, uh, AI framework. Uh, then we have uh, Torch, uh, which is uh, the base of PyTorch. So, the main AI framework that uh, is widely used today, and which is the one by Facebook, um, is PyTorch, which is based on Torch uh, written in C. So uh, PyTorch is, uh, as, I, as, I've just, as I've just said, um, brought by Facebook, uh, not as a competition to TensorFlow, because the beauty of this is that uh, there is not really competition. It is open source. Everyone is trying to uh, bring its uh, added value by uh, you know, implementing some research on these AI frameworks. And uh, PyTorch was the same as TensorFlow. It has the same uh, applications, um, such as uh, building uh, you know, a computer vision system or a deep learning system. You can also build a chatbot, autoencoder, all the same applications as TensorFlow, but uh, they just work slightly differently. PyTorch were the first to introduce the dynamic graphs, which uh, brought uh, some more power, but then uh, TensorFlow um, did the same and brought um, uh, on his side some more innovation and more features, uh, which each time makes the, the AI frameworks uh, more and more powerful. So, um, so yes, uh, these are uh, the top ones and um cafe2 so cafe2 yes, was a very uh, popular one to uh, it stands for convolutional uh, architecture for fast feature embedding this was a very popular one for deep learning it was a uh, It is still used, but uh, you you will understand afterwards that uh, um, it is uh, less used because um, it uh, it um, by March 2018 it was merged uh, uh, with uh, PyTorch. It it was merged into PyTorch. So um, basically, it was uh, very very widely used for deep learning uh, for image classification. Uh, for image segmentation, you know, those kind of uh, applications. But then since March 2018, it was merged into PyTorch. And therefore, today, I would say that uh, the two main ones, the two main AI frameworks that are used by researchers and individuals are TensorFlow 2.0, which uh, was merged with Keras, and PyTorch, with, which was merged uh, with into um, uh, Cafe 2 Well, Cafe 2 was merged into PyTorch. So these are the top two ones. These are extremely powerful, and you can build some amazing AI application with them. Uh, and you don't even need uh, you know, a powerful computer because you can connect to uh, servers, for example, the AWS servers, uh, to uh, build a really powerful and train uh, powerful AIs in a very, um, a few, a very few minutes. Or very few hours, depending on the complexities of the system. So yes, this is a real uh, revolution, and that's what allows today the research to evolve even faster. Um, even if, uh, as I said, research you know is limited by the theory, uh, but uh, and also by the computing resource. But um, everyone is building new AI systems every day. That's how BERT, for example, in NLP uh, was born. It was, of course, uh, thanks to all the open source AI frameworks. And so, yes, these really help uh, today in the dev- development of the, um, and the research of AI artificial intelligence.
0: Alan, for someone who's uh, an executive and listening to this, what would you say about open source versus
1: commercial software? So, open source are uh, basically free, and commercial you have to pay for them. to To you have to pay to use them.
0: Yeah, but like, let's say I'm an executive at a large company. Uh, we have millions or billions of dollars, and why would I go with um, TensorFlow or PyTorch or Python for that matter? If I can, if I have enough money, I have all the money in the world, I can just pay for um, you know other commercial tools without you know pointing any fingers, but. You know, there's lots of commercial alter- alternatives it kind of feels more secure to me that i'm paying money for something so it must be better then
1: uh yes well um for example let's take the example of um, apple and uh, samsung so basically yeah. samsung chose to um, um, develop their uh, systems uh, using open source ai frameworks uh, mm-hmm. apple has its own uh, system it's not open source uh, so I guess it's a business decision, uh, well, because of the open source system within uh, Samsung, Samsung might have the chance to uh, uh, become uh, yeah, become number, number one and, uh, and go over Apple because uh, the open source allows the researchers to, uh, uh, you know, allows more talents to participate into the development of the products and therefore help uh, into the development and, uh, and maybe grow faster. Apple uh, chose chooses on this side to uh, yes um, not have it open source uh, but um, yeah we'll see maybe they will gain a, a competitive edge by uh, uh, you know taking some directions that uh, are not um, uh, are not uh, known and therefore uh, might uh, have some uh, at some point an innovation that is not uh, shared with the, within its competitors so i guess yeah it, it all depends on the, the business perspective and the business strategy that an executive uh, would uh, choose to 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 go for
0: mm-hmm. okay okay gotcha all right there we go so that's uh, the open source ai frameworks examples that uh, brings us to the end of our webinar we have got a few quick announcements if uh, if anybody and listening wants to train up their team or themselves on some of these topics we have around like i think 60 courses in total in many different languages uh ranging from artificial intelligence to in this case we're uh, showcasing deep learning and natural language processing to deep learning deep reinforcement learning 2.0 you can find all these courses on udemy and udemy for business um, in fact there are some courses that are on udemy for business exclusively so make sure to check them out we we've been teaching yeah like over in total together seven hundred thousand students right yes that's right and announcement number two do you want to do this one uh
1: yeah sure so um uh, and i um our uh, business partner is this company called blue life ai uh, which offers uh, two uh, different services uh, the first one is a uh, consulting where we can build some uh, customized ai solutions for you and this uh, can be for any uh, industry, as, as long as we have the data. And uh, the second service is uh, tailored on-site training or corporate trainings, where we train uh, teams uh, and companies to stay ahead of the game in AI and, tr- and teach them about the most advanced AI solutions and uh, AI models that we have today. So it's just uh, a way to, uh, to stay ahead of the game in artificial intelligence. And uh, yes, we offer these two services and we would be really happy to help uh, with uh, Blue Life AI.
0: Yep, so you can find us at bluelife.ai. On that note, I think we, we can wrap up. Uh, a huge thank you to the Udemy for Business team for arranging everything. Very, very excited and uh, hopefully this was very helpful to everyone. Thanks, Adlan, See you later. Thank you. Thank you very much. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast thoroughly. If you're interested in viewing the video version of this podcast with all the slides and uh, our faces with Adlan and me, you are welcome to check it out on the Udemy for Business website. We will link to it in the show notes as usual at superdatascience.com slash 327. That's superdatascience.com slash 327. Uh, webinar will go live uh, on the 5th of february 2020 so early february 2020 make sure to look out for it we'll send an announcement as well so by then maybe it'll be a good time to refresh on some of these technologies and uh, check it all out again or maybe there's a specific technology that you're interested in and then you can just fast forward to that specific one once again thank you to udemy for business for uh, arranging all of this and put all this together record it and share it with the world Very, very excited about this. Uh, If you know somebody who's excited about technology as well, who wants to know what to learn, what to look into in 2020, then send them this podcast. Very easy to share. Just send the link superdatascience.com slash 327. Hope you have a fantastic year. Stick around on the Super Data Science Podcast. And with our courses, we're gonna have lots of exciting updates. Lots of great things are happening in 2020. And we want to live this year together with you. Stay part of the community, stay amazing, and I'll see you next time. Until then, happy analyzing.